Good morning. A few technical difficulties this morning, but we're there now, uh, we hope and pray. Uh, so thank you uh, for being with us, uh, with us, uh, whether you're here in the building uh, or whether you're online. We welcome you to St. Columbus, Dervulgi, uh, this morning as we come on this fifth Sunday of Easter uh, to worship the God who is still alive. We declare that on Easter Sunday. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Uh, but we declare that again today because we believe in a God who is not made of wood or stone or carved out of human hands to sit in a mantelpiece, but a God who is alive and reigns and is at work in our world today. We join uh, with a few sentences of scripture as we begin. They come from Psalm 145 uh, this morning in verse 3. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation will commend your works to another. They will tell of your mighty acts. They will speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful works. They will tell of the power of your awesome works. And I will proclaim your great deeds. They will celebrate your abundant goodness. And joyfully sing of your righteousness. You use the collect for this day. Lord of all life and power who through the mighty resurrection of your Son overcame the old order of sin and death to make all things new in him. Grant that we, being dead to sin and alive to you in Jesus Christ, may reign with him in glory, to whom you and the Holy Spirit be praise and honour, glory and might, now and in all eternity. We use the words of the confession as we come before a God who we know is forgiving and gracious seeking that we would be indeed dead to our own sin, as we have just prayed. We pray together, Lord God. Lord God, we have sinned against you. We have done wrong in your sight. We are sorry and repent. Have mercy on us according to your love. Wash away our wrongdoing and cleanse us from our sin. Renew a right spirit within us and restore us to the joy of your salvation. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. So may the Father of all mercies cleanse us from our sins, restore us in his image, to the praise and glory of his name. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Psalm uh, appointed for today is Psalm 22. And we'll use... Uh, verses 25, 3 to 31 of this, as we say them by alternate verse. From you comes the themes of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him, those who cannot keep themselves alive will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. There's a theme in those verses in that psalm 
about the faithfulness of the Lord. And you'll see that uh, throughout uh, our service today. We read that in the psalm that we opened with. We've read it as we prayed in our confession, as we've recited God's word together. We will hear about God's faithfulness and how he is faithful to his people um, throughout all generations uh, as we travel through this service today. We hand over to Sarah, who's going to lead us in our kids' talk. Good morning, boys and girls. I hope you're all keeping safe and well. Today, I want to talk to you about names. I wonder what your name is. If you don't already know, my name is Sarah. Now, whenever your mummy and daddy found out that they were having you as a baby, they may have thought of loads of different names for you. They may have even got a book that explained the meaning of different names. Well, my name is Sarah, and Sarah means princess. It comes from a Hebrew word that means princess. You may have heard that we have a new addition to our family. This is Rory, and Rory's name is Irish, and it means Red King. <laughs> You'll hear James talking this morning from the book of Ruth, and Ruth's name meant friendship. But I wonder about Mary and Joseph, Jesus' parents. They didn't need a book of loads of different names to tell them the meanings. In fact, an angel came to them and said that they were going to have a son, that they were going to name him Jesus. Because you see, the name Jesus means the one who saves from sin. I wonder what your name means. Maybe you can look it up today and see if it means something to who you are, maybe your character. Because you see, Jesus' name was true to what he does and still does today. He saves our sin. I have a little bit of a challenge for you this morning. As James is preaching, he'll be mentioning loads of different names. What I want you to do is listen out for them, write them down, and go and have a look in a book and see what those names mean and if those people were true to their character. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you know each of us by name, that you knew us even before we were born. Father, we thank you that you know everything about us. We thank you for our parents and how they nurture us and name us. And Father, we pray that whenever we hear the name Jesus, that we would remember the real meaning of his name that he is the one who saves. In Jesus' name, Amen. Today's reading is from Ruth, chapter 1, beginning in verse 19. Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Instead, call me Mara. For Almighty has made life very bitter for me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why should you call me Naomi? And the Lord has called me to suffer, and the Almighty has sent such tragedy. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by her daughter-in-law Ruth, the young Moabite woman. They arrived in Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. And continuing in chapter 2, 
uh, Ruth works in Boaz's field. Now there was a wealthy and influential man in Bethlehem named Boaz, who was a relative of Naomi's husband, Elimelech. One day Ruth said to Naomi, Let me go down into the fields and gather leftover grain behind anyone who let me do it. And Naomi said, All right, my daughter, go ahead. So Ruth went out to gather grain behind the harvesters. As it happened, she found herself working in a field that belonged to Boaz, the relative of her father-in-law, Elimelech. And finishing at verse 3. Uh, so thank you to Sarah uh, and indeed to Billy uh, for their part in the service um, today. We are continuing uh, in a series of Ruth uh, with the title, The Best is Yet to Come. Uh, that sense of abundance uh, in God that he's not finished with us, yet there is still uh, more um, to be done. This is a story of ordinary people living ordinary lives experiencing the ordinary everyday things that you and I experience uh, as well. And so this story of Ruth and of Naomi uh, and how they create this journey together uh, actually uh, is very poignant for us um, as we travel through our lives as well because it touches on so much of what it is uh, we experience. Um, the grief and sadness that is in this family. Um, the heart of this story is the providence of God. It is God's faithfulness as we've already uh, touched on earlier today last week uh, we heard that grief is important uh, often sometimes we can try in our culture to dismiss grief really quickly we think it's something we should get over almost immediately we hear phrases like sure it'll be okay time will time will pass or, or time will heal or uh, it'll be okay sure next week's different or, or whatever and almost as if we we we, we push grief away but actually it's really important to grieve properly and appropriately. Grief can form a, an important element of our lives, not only as we lose someone that we love, but we can grieve over other things uh, as well. As I said last week, a God who makes himself known in the valley of the shadow is one who can be trusted in the good times. If we've met God in our darkest times, we know that we can trust him in our best times. And today we see uh, Ruth and Naomi settling in. Uh, they have left uh, the country of Moab. Uh, they've made a journey. Naomi, as we heard last week, gave them a choice uh, to the two daughters-in-law. One of them, Oprah, uh, decided to stay in her land and she was loyal to Naomi to do that. Uh, Ruth was loyal in her going with her. And so they've made this journey back to the nation of Israel, back to the village, the town of Bethlehem. Now, the town of Bethlehem is one that we normally associate with Christmas, isn't it? Uh, where uh, the baby is born in a stable we know that coming from the lineage of Ruth and Boaz is King David. We know that coming from the lineage of King David is that baby who was born in Bethlehem. And so central to this story, central to this story of Ruth is the fact that God has a plan. From before the dawn of time, he is seeing that plan through right up to today. See, this choice has been made Ruth and Naomi now arrive back in Israel. This is a familiar place to Naomi, but a formidable place for Ruth it must have been. New place, new culture, 
knew people. The only person that she would have known was Naomi. But it must have been scary for Naomi as well because she's coming back into a country that she left. She's coming back into a wider family unit that she left and walked away from. I wonder how they reacted to her. Well, we hear a little bit of it in verse 19. Uh, it says, For the two women uh, went until they arrived in Bethlehem. Whenever they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? The whole town was stirred. Now, it's a short phrase, but you can also conjure, you can almost imagine or conjure up in your imagination that sense of, here, here, look, look, the nudging, the whispers. Could, could that, is that? No way. Seriously? It's her, is it? She looks a bit different. She's maybe failed a little bit. Her hair's got grayer. She's got more wrinkles, whatever way they were describing her. They couldn't believe that she had come back. I don't think it could have been easy for Naomi to go back. Same as it wasn't easy for Ruth to step into this new place and this new culture and this new environment. See, whenever we look back, it's one of the verses that we looked at last week, verse 6 says, uh, the literal translation of verse 6 is that the Lord had visited his people. Um, the news had come to Moab that the Lord had visited his people in Israel. Well, throughout the scriptures, the Lord visits his people in one of two ways, either with blessing or with judgment. But we know that the Lord had visited his people in Israel with blessing as the famine had finished and food was now available. But there's a sense in the reading that we have today that Naomi sees God having visited his people with blessing. But I think she sees that he has visited her with judgment. Listen to verse 20. Don't call, my Na call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. So why call me Naomi anymore? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Now I can only, can only speculate in one sense as to why maybe she felt like that. Did she feel that because she had left her culture, she had allowed her sons to marry into a foreign culture that the Lord was visiting judgment upon her. We, we don't really know. But we can read from those verses, we can deduce from those verses that Naomi felt as if the Lord's hand was firmly pressed upon her rather than resting on her in blessing. And so she doesn't want to be called by her name anymore. As Sarah said, names are so important. They are really, really important. She wants to change her name so that her name now reflects how she feels. I don't know, Sarah hinted at it. Have you ever looked up what it is that your name means? Hands up if you have. Do you know what your name means? That's actually quite interesting to go and do that to try to find out what it is that your name means. Because whenever, names 
in one sense, were really important in biblical culture because names became your identity. You were known by your family name. That became your legacy, your heritage, your character, if you like. But names are equally important today. We have probably all been in that situation where we have bumped into someone on the street who we may haven't seen in a long time. Now, we can remember them. Maybe we kind of vaguely remember where we met them before. And they're maybe doing the same thing, but neither of us remember each other's names. And the conversation becomes very distant. Doing all right? I doing all right. How's the family? The family are doing well. What about the job? Is it all right? On the other hand, hello, James. Hello, whoever. How's Derek Olgie doing? He's doing really well. What about settling into Lisburn? It's lovely. The conversation's completely different. The tone of the conversation's different. The level of the conversation's different. That's why names are important. That's why it's important, in a sense, to get to know names. And we don't get to know names of each other in a hurry. It's something that we have to work at. It's something we have to spend time doing and getting to know the other person, to know their name. And somebody who you haven't met for in years, or maybe you've only met once, and they can walk up to you and they can remember your name. What does it do inside you? It does, doesn't it? It kind of goes, oh, oh, they remember me. They, they, they know who I am. It's what we think, what we believe. And so names are really important. So for Naomi to want to change her name is a massive thing. She's nearly going to ask who's happy with their name or who wants to change it, but will not uh, go there. Because you're... Sarah was right, in a sense, our names are given to us, and we don't often have the opportunity to change them. See, all along, throughout, all along, we're only at the end of chapter one, like, but all the way through uh, this story so far, one of the things we've continuously said is that Naomi has not allowed her circumstances to change her. Naomi has not allowed her circumstances to be the things that define her. But today we see something different. Today her circumstances, whenever she returns back into her culture, are the things that define her. And I wonder why she allows that. What happened to her to allow that? I think, that's only my assumptions, that she returned back to the familiar, to what she knew, to the place that she knew. But she knew she was different. And therefore the difference was what now defines her rather than the similarities. It's the same as the disciples. Whenever Jesus died, there was moments of despair. What did they do? They went out on the boat fishing again. They returned back to what was familiar and normal until Jesus met them on the beach. And had breakfast with them. And then their spirits lifted and changed. And were reshaped and reformed. Into bold and powerful disciples. 
who proclaim that Jesus is risen. Often it's complacency in the familiar things around us that come with that that allow us then to begin to allow those things to define us, if that makes sense. But Ruth is the one who pushes forward now. Ruth has learned and gleaned from her mother-in-law. She's been watching her in Moab, not allowing those circumstances to define her. And Ruth's now the one who steps forward. See, in verse 2 of chapter 2, Ruth says, And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. And so Ruth goes out into the field to pick up the leftover grain from the harvest because they arrive back at the harvest time. And this God moment happens in the field. This moment that in one sense, all of the circumstances could not have collided in the midst of all of the other social structures just to make it happen. We feel that God's hand is upon this moment, that Ruth appears in a particular field at a particular time where she meets Boaz, and history is changed. The legacy is changed. Uh, I was um, chatting to a friend of mine, uh, Barry, who's the chaplain at Queen's, he preached never I, here in the, my institution. Uh, and one of the things that Barry has noticed amongst the student population over the last uh, year or so uh, with um, COVID is that whilst they are back and living in their own little bubbles in a sense in halls or in, in the, the hub uh, in the residential place that, that Barry helps to run, um, the thing that is that's missing is the acquaintances These young adults are not bumping into each other. They're, they're not, well, many of them are not going to parties where they happen to meet somebody else and go, oh, take a look at her. And the acquaintance turns into a friendship and the friendship turns into a courtship and the courtship turns into a marriage and the marriage turns into children and the children begin, the legacy goes on. We know that. In one sense, that's what happened to Shirley and I, we didn't meet at university, we met through a university friend, an acquaintance who put us together. They put us together in a room. I'm sure some of you heard me say this before. They put us together in a room, just the three of us. And this was the introduction. James Boyd, meet Shirley Boyd. And when you get married, I want to be at your wedding. And she walked out and left us, standing in a room looking at each other. Obviously, I'm the one on the microphone, so Shirley did the chasing, um, and I did the following. Um, but the acquaint the, that moment of being an acquaintance, we had a friend, mutual friend, who put two acquaintances together. The two acquaintances became friends. The friends became into a courtship, and the courtship into a marriage. And now Rebecca and Hannah are here. The legacy moves on. The legacy continues as we read in our Psalm 145, we pass on to the next generation, our faith. And so these God moments are actually really, really important. These moments where we maybe sometimes dismiss them as simply coincidences, we need to look for the God moment in them. Ruth went out seeking that she could glean grain in a field where she would find favor. 
Now, by that, she thought she was simply going to be allowed to pick up the leftover grain, but she found favor in a completely different way, as we'll see uh, next week. These moments where situations change and were uncertain. Does anybody know who Mordecai Ham is? There's a picture of him coming on the screens. Anybody? If you're online and you know, you can comment in the comment section. Nobody ever know who Mordecai Ham is. Mordecai Ham. Mordecai Ham uh, was an evangelist. Uh, he was an itinerant evangelist in America. He traveled through towns and villages uh, doing what I suppose back in the 30s, 40s, 50s would have been called crusades, if you like, where they turned up, big tent went up, and lots of people came to hear Mordecai Ham preach. Mordecai Ham went through a number of different states doing this, and he's led, he, his ministry was phenomenal. He led lots and lots of people, in fact, many thousands of people, um, to know Jesus. And Mordecai Ham turned up in a village, in a town one night. Uh, he was preaching for a two-week crusade. And at the end of that two-week crusade, there was very few people, uh, legend has it, might only have been one person who came to faith um, during that crusade. And he left that town despondent, downhearted, that only one person had listened to what Mordecai Ham had to say that night about Jesus, about those two weeks about Jesus. Mordecai Ham sowed a seed that night in a young man's life that would change America and many other countries across the world for the better and for God's kingdom. Mordecai Ham led a young man called Billy Graham to faith that night. As many of us know, Billy Graham, one of the greatest evangelists and disciples of Jesus in this generation, led many hundreds of thousands of people to know Jesus. Those moments where sometimes we feel are small or insignificant can be used so mightily for God, but we just can't see it in this moment. But in God's providence, in his faithfulness, and in his eternal plan, he works it out. God is at work here, changing the legacy of Ruth, the Moabite. God is at work here in this parish of Deravogi, changing the legacy that we leave. And in this story today, there's a generosity actually. In this culture, there was a generosity where whenever they were doing the harvest, they left a certain section at the edge of the fields so that those who didn't have enough food for themselves could come and gather the grain to feed their families. And that's exactly what Ruth started to do. And in that moment, she meets Boaz. Boaz becomes her redeemer, as we'll see next week. I wonder how we can create that generous spirit. We do it in many ways in this place. Don't get me wrong, we do. We do it in so many ways in this place. And one of the ways that we have done it in the past and we re-establish again 
uh, is that as we're now back in person, uh, the box will be out on the porch uh, for food bank. And in one sense, in today's culture, that's us leaving a space at the age of Orfield, ensuring that those who don't have enough do have enough. And so it'll be in the porch uh, next Sunday for us to leave off items. But that first three of chapter two is so, so powerful. Let's hear it. So she, that's Ruth, went out and began to glean in the fields behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she found herself working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Amalekai. This is the moment where everything changes in this story. This is the God moment of this story. And in that verse, it seems almost implausible because there's nothing big in it. She went out to a field to glean some corn and the field happened to belong to Boaz. Or did it happen to belong to Boaz? Or was the Lord's hand and his providence upon her? God is often at work where we see him the least. In fact, I was reading um, just uh, yesterday morning, Isaiah 45 um, and verse 3. It says this. The pages won't turn over now. Look at this. Isaiah 45 and verse 3. I will give you the treasures of darkness, riches stored in a secret place, so you may know that I am the Lord, the God of Israel, who summons you by name. God gives you the treasures in the places of darkness, in the hard places. The God who you can trust in the valley of the shadow is the God who you can trust in the good times because he knows you by name. And he calls you to lift up your head and your heart, to open your head and your heart as you follow him. Let's pray. Father, you're here. You're now. Your promises have been proclaimed throughout the ages with voice, with musical instruments, with melodies, with joyful sounds. Your name is to be heralded. Your great works are to be proclaimed. In this generation, it is our time to worship you, to announce your presence. in our homes, in our churches, in our schools, in our government, in our workplaces, in our streets, and in our marketplaces. The glad sound of celebration because of who you are and all that you have done would be heard. So Lord, this morning as we gaze upon the cross, as we hear the story of Ruth 
of your hand and of your providence and of your promise. As we discover in that story, the terrible pain, pain that is seen upon your suffering on a cross, but yet is joy and peace at the same time where we can be forgiven of our sins and find freedom to live. Lord, in our darkest moments, may we meet with you. Give us strength to endure. Give us joy in the midst of our suffering, a joy that can trust in your hand and we can lean into your presence. Let in those seemingly small or insignificant moments that we might look to you for your hand at work. Or as we gaze through what has gone before us, we know that your hand has been upon your people. Today we want to pray for your hand upon those who we know and love who are in need of a fresh touch from you. And Lord, we name those people before you now. knowing that as precious as those people are to us, they are even more precious to you. As we think about those who we know and love, our minds, our hearts, our prayers are cast across the world to the nation of India today. as we pray for that nation and for the many individual lives who are currently in turmoil. As we pray for the nation of India, we pray for our own nation for our leaders in Stormont and in Westminster, that you would heal our land. We are not what you expected us to be or what you want us to be. As we turn away from you, as we fight with each other, we can see poverty and oppression, lawlessness and corruption around us. Lord, we know that even in our media today, many of our political leaders may have recited worthy creeds but are now under scrutiny. We pray for those in government who know you and who love you, that they would courageously seek to speak the truth. That they would dedicate their lives and their leadership to the welfare of us. Of this country. Heal our land, O Lord, we pray. Our Father, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, 
thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. We stand um, and use the words of our creed today as we affirm our faith before our final song. Let's stand. We say together, we believe. We believe in God the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. We believe in God the Son, who lives in our hearts through faith and fills us with his love. We believe in God the Holy Spirit, who strengthens us with power from on high. We believe in one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, last week you'll have heard me say that we are considering um, creating some kind of community garden. We might grow uh, a few things and create a little space uh, where we can come um, together um, uh, as we move out of uh, lockdown, where we can meet outdoors and all that. If you're interested or want to know more information about that, please speak to me uh, and we can have a chat about that and what that might entail or how we can grow uh, that little idea, that little seed uh, forward. Um, now we're also looking some help uh, and advice, adv- help and advice with the AV team, with our audio-visual stuff. Um, so if you uh, want to speak to any member of the team or myself about that, that would be fantastic uh, as well. Um, masks are available still. Um, suggest a donation of £3.50. Uh, all proceeds from that going to church funds. Um, and there are um, some little seedlings of tomato plants outside the door today with a suggested donation uh, of 50p uh, for them uh, or £2 for the rector. Imagine that. Huh? Uh, but anyway, um, uh, yeah, but the, little, the little tomato plants are called money makers. Couldn't make it up. She can. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant, Rodney, uh, for that. Uh, so yeah, all proceeds that going to church funds um, as well. And we are re-establishing our small steps service on a Tuesday morning between now and the summertime, so for May and June, and that'll begin this Tuesday, a small steps service at 10 o'clock. An opportunity uh, for those maybe who, who feel that the coming on a Sunday morning is just too big a step. Um, then that's uh, for you uh, or for anyone else who wants to come to that. It's a said uh, service of morning prayer again this Tuesday uh, and every Tuesday during May and June. Um, I mentioned Food Bank um, in the sermon today. That's back again from um, next Sunday. So please do uh, bring stuff uh, for that uh, as well. I've numbered these wrongly and I'm trying to find number four. Number four doesn't exist. Um, so there you are. Um, the other one is um, Sam's is here uh, next week. The organisation Sam's is here next week uh, with a speaker who may well be very familiar um, to you. He's called the Reverend Stephen McElhenney. Uh, ever met him uh, before? I might just leave him to it next week. No, um, I'll make sure he's all right. Uh, so Stephen's with us um, next week as he shares a little bit with us from the Book of Ruth, but also about the project in Chile that we are supporting as a parish, uh, along with our AV project um, here. So we look forward to Stephen uh, and being with us um, next week. Last thing, um, just a reminder, thank you, uh, and a big thank you for uh, sticking to the guidelines and uh, being socially distant as we come into church and wear our masks um, during the service. 
uh, and do so again on the way out in the car park. Sometimes we can let that one slip a wee bit maybe, but we need to make sure uh, that we uh, do all that is necessary here uh, as a parish. Um, but as we close, uh, we hear some familiar words of blessing uh, from the book of Numbers. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. And with the blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, rest upon each one of us this day and forevermore. Amen. Amen. I, I missed, I forgot to say that um, Christian Aid's working differently this year. Sorry, George. Um, Christian Aid's working differently this year. And so the way that we're going to work that is the envelopes will be available in church next week. Uh, and you can take them away with you and you can take them for friends or for family and so forth. Um, and to bring them back here, George? Yeah, so if you bring them back here, then we can get them to George. And George can get them uh, out to Christian Aid uh, as per normal. There's also a table quiz at St. Mark's uh, in Ballymacash are organising. And I'll email out the details uh, for that. Anyone's welcome to join that. And that's also in support of Christian Aid. I'll email those details out um, this week. But Christian Aid envelopes will be available from next week here. Okay, thank you.